If you would turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll be looking at a portion of that chapter this morning. Before we do that, though, I want to read to you a quote from J.C. Ryle. This was an English preacher a hundred years ago or so and wrote many good books, many wonderful things that I've read by him. And this, this quote I thought was very significant. He said, If there is no salvation excepting by Christ, we must not be surprised if ministers of the gospel preach much about him. They, they cannot tell too much about the name that is above every name. We cannot, hear too, we cannot hear of him too often. We may hear too much about controversy in sermons. We may hear too much of works and duties, of forms and ceremonies and sacraments and ordinances. But there is one subject which we can never hear too much of. We can never hear too much of Christ. When ministers weary of preaching of him, they're false ministers. When people are wearied of hearing of him, their souls are in an unhealthy state. When ministers have preached him all their lives, the half of his excellencies will remain untold. When hearers see him face to face in the day of his appearing, they will find there was more in him than their hearts ever conceived. So my desire here this morning is to present Christ to you. My desire here this morning is to glorify God by presenting something of the marvelous excellencies of Christ. Of course, in this we are entirely dependent upon the Spirit of God to bring Christ before our hearts and minds. I can't do it. Frail, fallen, finite as I am, takes Christ to show you himself. So, if you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let's begin reading with verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Christ's sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And that, I especially want to zero in on that phrase there. The knowledge of the glory of God, the glory of God in the face of Christ. 
There's so much wrapped up in just that one verse. We'll look at this section we read, but it's even that one verse, we can only begin to unpack it here this morning. Perhaps the place to start is to just get some idea of what we're talking about when we're talking about the glory of God. That's right here in the verse. The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now there are hundreds of references to God's glory in the scriptures. But they all revolve around the idea of showing forth something of his majestic character. So when we're trying to just get some type of a definition of the glory of God. God's glory has to do with the display of his greatness and beauty and holiness and love and myriads of other attributes of his awe-inspiring character, the showing forth of something of that character. His glory is the radiance of his manifest splendor, the brilliance of his grandeur, greatness, and incomprehensible worthiness. A lot of big words there. And I have to say, uh, you know, I read, it's kind of a compilation of many things I read. And in the end, I have to say, it still sounds like I'm stumbling for words. But there's a reason for that. Why would you stumble for words to try to define God's glory? Because it's so big, so magnificent, so beyond just words. Actually, you're trying to define something incomprehensible except by the experience of God mani- manifesting himself to us. It's, it's something that you only really get a feel for not by a definition, but by the experience of God showing you some of his glory. Wayne Grudem put it this way, God's glory is the created brightness that surrounds, surrounds God's revelation of himself, the visible manifestation of the excellence of his character, the visible manif- manifestation of the excellence of his character. One short definition comes from Ravi Zacharias. He said, God's glory is the luminosity of God, the luminosity of God. Sometimes that luminosity is visible to the naked eye. You have examples of that in the scripture. More often, it is seen by the eyes of the heart. God just speaks something of his character into your heart and mind. And you realize what something of what God is like, something of the magnificent character of God is conveyed to you. If we look back here at Second uh, Corinthians chapter four, we get some some sense of what these definitions are trying to convey. In verse in verse four, Paul writes of the work of Satan blinding the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The gospel is glorious. We have a glorious gospel. 
And the gospel is glorious because it tells of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The gospel is centered on Christ, the glory of Christ who is the image of God. But unbelievers do not see that glory because Satan has blinded their minds. You go out on the street and try to talk to somebody about Christ. It's like they, don't, they do not see what you're talking about. They're blinded to the reality of the thing that means the most to you. What can cure this blindness? Only a miracle. Only a miracle from God. He speaks his word into the darkened heart, giving the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's what happens when a person's converted. That's what happens when a person becomes a new creature in Christ. That's what happens in the new birth. God speaks his word into the darkened heart, giving the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. In effect, you could say, he, God says, let there be light in the darkness of this unbelieving heart. God just speaks and says, let there be light in that heart that's not there on its own. Wesley, in the song we sometimes sing, put it this way, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. There is darkness, blindness. I was fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, life-giving ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. In the passage here that we're looking at, Paul is hearkening back to the creative work of God in the beginning of creation. And I'll just turn to that and read it to you because this is what's on Paul's mind. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And that's what happens when a person's converted. He says, let there be light in that heart. And there is light. When he says, let there be light, there's light. God spoke, and there was light in the darkness. And then God goes on and creates a marvelous universe that was to manifest his glory. When the lights come on, you can see. And here was a, a universe God made to manifest his glory. As the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to declare the glory of God. Or as Roman, Romans 1 teaches, for since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made. You see God's creation. You see something of the glory of God. All heaven and earth was made to glorify God, just like a 
magnificent painting brings glory to the artist. You know, the little line from Isaac Watts, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a, a great sunset or something. Isaac Watts said it this way, not, there's not a plant or flower below but makes his glories known. When you have eyes to see one little flower, one little blade of grass makes his glories known. But the part of the creation that was to preeminently see the glory of God and praise him for that glory and show forth that glory was humanity. Men and women made in the image of God. They were to be the great glory givers and glory showers. That's why he made us endowed by their creator with great gifts of mind and body by which they could glorify God, what happened? Well, they took those gifts, they sinfully took those gifts and used them as a means of glorifying themselves. Again, this is what Paul says in Romans 1. Even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. There's that darkness. There's that blindness we're talking about. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory, exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an, for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed creatures and crawling things. We're talking about exchanging, exchanging the true God for idolatry some form of idolatry, man exalting, creature exalting, not God exalting. That's idolatry. Let me just make a little aside here. You th we don't need to think about primitive cultures and idolatry. Advanced cultures have their own forms of idolatry. For instance, the extreme environmentalism of today is idolatry. You listen to some of these people, you can tell it's a religion to them. It's idolatry. Worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. That's what's going on so often. Now, we need to be concerned about the environment. There's no question about that. It's God's, it's God's world. We should be concerned for it. But that's not what's going on in some of this environmentalism. Humanism is idolatry. Making the man... Making Man, the measure of all things. It's idolatry. God's the measure of all things. Well, back to our text. There is a satanic darkness and blindness to the human heart because people have turned from God. But into that condition, God has shined the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. See that? Christ is the image of God. We were creatures made to be in the image of God. We failed. We fell. But God sent his son, who is in the image, the true image, the complete image, the perfect image of God. Because God's first image bearers failed to show forth his glory because of sin, he sent his sinless son into the world to be the initiator of a whole new 
humanity, in fact, a whole new creation. This new humanity would truly reflect the image of God. And Christ is the initiator of that. He's the beginning of that. He's the perfection of that. We're told, that, we're told this in Hebrews, that Christ, as a man, think of this, as a man, is the radiance of God's glory. There was one who walked the earth 2,000 years ago that was the radiance, that brilliance, that manifestation of the character of God, the radiance of God's glory, and the exact representation of his nature. He is what mankind made in the image of God was meant to be. He shows forth the true glorious character of God. When God speaks into the darkness of our hearts, he gives the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. As Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. You get a glimpse of who Christ is. You've seen the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. And as the apostles could testify, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's what the apostles saw when they walked with Christ. They saw a man, a man full of grace and truth. Everything he said, everything he did, was full of grace and truth. He manifested the character of God. Though much of that glory was temporarily and voluntarily set aside when Christ came to earth, still those enlightened by the Holy Spirit could see that he was the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This man, this God-man, Christ Jesus, lived and died and rose again to make us godlike, to make us truly in the image of God, to make a new creation of people who were truly reflectors of God's character, truly in the image of God, all in order to bring glory to God. Christ laid down his life for us, so that he could give his life to us so that we could so that he could live his life through us and again all that all that he was doing all that he said was to show forth the glory of God the more we see of Christ the more we see of the glory of God the more we are conformed to the image of Christ the more we are conformed to the image of God, the more we are conformed to the image of God, the more we bring glory to his name. In this present life, this conforming to the image of God is an ongoing work in the believer's life. But in the world to come, everything, we're told in Psalm 29, 9, everything in his temple shouts, glory. 
That's what it'll be like. Everything in God's temple. When we're with God, everything is going to clearly proclaim the glory of God. Well, what about the unbeliever? There's a day coming that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue, every tongue, shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One way or another, both the righteous and the unrighteous will bring glory to God. Everybody in this room is going to bring glory to God one way or another. Those who refuse whatever light God has given them will go, we're told, into outer darkness. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those who by the grace of God embrace the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ will go to that place of eternal light and life surrounded and engulfed in the glory of God. A place where there is no need of light, the light of the sun or of the moon to shine upon it. For the glory of God has illumined it. Think about that. A place illumined totally by the glory of God. And its lamp is the Lamb. A place where there shall no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his bondservants shall serve him. And they shall see his face. Perfectly perfected perfectly able to bring glory to God, perfectly endowed with the ability to see and savor and share in his glory. So what are we talking about? What we're talking about is something, again, beyond comprehension. John, in 1 John 3, 2, he says, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it is not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. There's a lot yet to see of the glory of Christ. In closing, let me just say something to any unbelievers that are here and then something to the believers first to the one who sees nothing of the glory of God in the face of Christ the unbeliever realize that this is because the God of this world has blinded your mind if, if people can talk to you about the glory of Christ and it doesn't move you at all, all that means is you're blind. It's like me talking to somebody about how bright the sun is, but that I'm talking to a blind person. They have no idea what I'm saying. 
even as I try to describe it. What are you talking about? Blinded in the mind. Along with this is the fact that even though light has come into the world, you love darkness rather than light. Why is that? Because your deeds are evil, we're told. And you don't want them exposed. But here's the encouraging thing. God can change that. That's what we're talking about here today. He can transfer you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Ask him to do it. If you're here in the condition that you, Christ means nothing to you, ask him to show you something of Christ. Open your eyes. Ask him to open your eyes. Now, God can do that in many ways. Sometimes he starts with just some little thing. It, it, it may not be some great preacher might be something as simple as seeing a beautiful sunset or looking at a little butterfly going from one brightly colored flower to another. And as you watch that, and as you think about that, something stirs you. Something down deep, deep calls unto deep. And you think, I want to praise somebody for this beautiful thing I'm looking at. I didn't make this. Other people didn't make this. And there's that sense of eternity, of something big, something really big. Well, God can use that. Thank God for that. Thank God for that little... Example. That's a little example of God's glory, you see. You just saw a little of God's glory in that butterfly, in that flower, that sunset. Thank the one who made the heavens and earth. Thank the one who gave you eyes to be able to see. And then go in the house and get your Bible. <laughs> or get a Bible. You might, you might not even have a Bible. Get a Bible and turn to the New Testament, especially the Gospels, and ask God to shine in your heart to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Just dig in. Learn about Christ. What was this man like? Who was he? What did he say? You see, in the visible creation all around us, we, see, we can see something of the glory of his handiwork. But in Christ, we see God himself. Emmanuel, as it was one of his names, Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Here is a man that was God with us. The one in whom all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. So we're told about him. All the fullness of the deity dwelled right there in that man, Christ Jesus. Read about him. Think about him. 
God's given us a book where we can learn about this person. A book that tells us about Christ. The whole book is about it, the whole Bible. He's the key to understanding everything from Genesis to Revelation. He's there throughout the book. Ask him, I'm speaking again to the unbeliever, ask him, ask Christ to show you himself as you read his word. Ponder and pray over the passages, passages that speak of how Christ actually associated himself with God. So for that, if you want to know where to start, good place is the Gospel of John. So I, I just want to give you a sampling of some of his amazing words. This is, these are from the Gospel of John. We've already quoted a number of them, like he who is, Jesus said, this man, Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. You can't get any clearer than that. In other words, to see Jesus is to see God. We have a book that tells us about Jesus. You want to learn about God? Read a book. Read about Christ. John 14:7 tells us to know Jesus is to know God. Jesus said, "If you had known me, you would have known my my Father also." The Gospel of John tells us this. To hate Jesus is to hate God. Whoever hates me hates my father also, we're told. To honor Jesus is to honor God. The Father has given all judgment to the Son in order that all may honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. To encounter Jesus is to encounter God. Why is that? Because Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He also said, believe me that when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Think of these things this man said. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Well, just a few more here, which show specifically that to hear Christ's words is to hear the word of God. To hear Christ, Christ's word is to hear the word of God. So let's just look some of these up in John. John chapter 7. Verse 16 and 17. Jesus therefore answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If any man is willing to do his will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself. 
I'm speaking here. I'm, spe- I'm speaking here to the unbeliever. I'm saying, pick up God's word, read the Gospel of John, think about these type of things, and realize here what we're looking at right now. Jesus is saying, my words are God's words. Think of a man saying that. Whatever I tell you is what God's telling you. Okay, John eight twenty six. I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. And then if you skip down to verse 28, Jesus therefore said, when you, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak things, those things, as God taught me. I'm just telling you what God has told me, Jesus said. And then verse 12, I mean uh, chapter 12, verse 44. It's a little longer section. There's a number of things here, but specifically we want to see the words of Christ being the words of God. Uh, Verse 44, chapter 12. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. And he who beholds me beholds the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world, that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. And if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did, not come into, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I sp- spoke is what will judge him on the last day. Think of, that, think of that right there. The words I'm speaking, Jesus said, that's what's going to judge you on the last day. That's how important this word is that Jesus has given us. And then he says this, For I did not speak on my own initiative. But the Father himself who sent me has given me commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Everything, everything he said was just what God wanted said. It was the word of God. And then lastly, chapter 14. And this is just a few of them. This type of statement. Chapter 14, verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. I didn't, he's saying, I didn't say this on my own. The Father in me is really who's speaking to you when you listen to me. And then verse 24. He who does not love me does not, does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. 
So, what I'm saying is ask God. If you, if you don't see something of the glory of God in the face of Christ, ask God to show, show himself to you. Especially, and particularly, pick up his word and read it and ask God to show something of the glory of God in the face of Christ to you from this word that he's given us. It's what you need. If you don't, if you're an unbeliever here this morning, you need a revelation of Christ. You need a revelation of God. Well, you, you might say, well, I, I think I've heard that I'm supposed to replant, repent and believe. The Bible does say that. But here's what I'm telling you. If you get a glimpse of Christ, you're not going to have a problem with with repenting and believing. If you get a glimpse of Christ, nothing can keep you from repenting and believing the gospel. Well, that was to the unbeliever. Lastly, just a brief word to, to the believers here. Keep pressing on to know more of the glory of God in the face of Christ. There's so much more for us. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord, for his going forth is certain as the dawn. The path of the just is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Why is that? Because you see more of Christ, and things get brighter. You just see more of what he's done, who he is, what he has for us. And your desire then is to glorify God more and more. There's so much more of the glory of God in the face of Christ for each one of us as believers. May it never be that we think we know enough of Christ. So I'll go back to where I started with this quote from J.C. Ryle. He said, We can never hear too much of Christ. We may hear too much about controversy, you know, all the problems in Christianity. We can hear too much about that. We may hear too much about too much of works and duties, of forms, of ceremonies, of sacraments and ordinances. But there is one subject which we can never hear too much of. We can never hear too much of Christ. When we see him face to face in the day of his appearing, we will find there was more in him than our hearts ever conceived. So there's more for us as believers. What can we say but, oh God, oh Lord, show us more, even now, of the glory of God in the face of Christ.